So, good morning. Is there anybody here for the first time? Really? You're all here for the first time. How cool is that? Welcome. Um, is it your first time meditating or just your first time here? Okay. Great. So, um, welcome to Sitting on Sunday Morning. I'm John Aaron, one of the teachers here. Running a little late. So, um, we'll sit for about 40 minutes, and I'll guide a bit of that. Uh, we'll do some mindful movement, and then um, we'll see what's in the room and go from there. So, um, yeah, so just settling in to your seat. So, uh, welcome again, especially to those who are here for the first time. Um, I am curious to know, like, what brought you here this morning, or just uh, why you've never been here before. <laughs> are you refugees from another center? <laughs> that happens. <laughs> no, seriously, just anybody. Okay. Oh, wow. From where? Nice. Why? Yeah. <laughs> Not that anything is better over here, you know. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Just <laughs> anybody else? Great, welcome. I've been here the first two times in Montreal. Uh huh. I'm working at Vernon Montreal, Jacques Montaigne. I've been today, I did a nine step emotional experience. Good. Physical pain or emotional pain? No, emotional. Okay. Yeah. How about you? Yeah, I know teachers in Rome, but not in Florence. <laughs> yeah, lovely. Good. Happy that you're here. Great. So, um, just a few announcements. Uh, first off, as thank you, Jed and Lindita, for volunteering. Uh, as Jed probably informed you as you came in, the, the sittings here. Um, um, yeah, so I'm just curious to know what came up for people in practice today, any questions that arose. I, did, you know, I have some things I might talk about, but I'm more interested in knowing what's in the room, um, any challenges or just uh, questions around meditation or mindfulness uh, or Buddhism uh, that may have arisen for you in practice today. What's your name? 
Leah. Great. Yeah, that's really important. Um, yeah, that's the teaching right there, right? Just not learning, you know, not being tough on yourself. Just allowing, turning toward whatever is arising with an open heart. Yeah, beautiful. Now you can do it every day. Yeah. Anything else? Remind me your name, I'm sorry. Amy. Yeah, I love the description. Sort of, uh, it kind of, it's okay, Jed, I think. Yeah, we can live without the mic, it's fine. Sorry. Um, I used to have this image of, uh, like as I, when it's a number of years ago, as I would breathe in, I would have this image of a thought, kind of like a vine coming around the, the breath you know, and then breathe out, it would come back in. That was one image. The other image was that of a, um, um, what's it called? The, the games where you hit the whack-a-mole, right? So you would, like, uh, in, the, in the space between the in-breath and the out-breath, this little mole would come up, you know, and then I'd whack it, and then next space, another mole would come up. You know, it was that kind of thing, yeah? But, so... What would clinging to the thought feel like? I see. Okay. Can you identify the thought, or is it just kind of a random thought? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Does it feel like effort? Sorry. I'm asking you the questions. 
Does it feel like effort? So, uh, um, if, if we, you know, there's always thoughts flowing. What the, the Ajahn Chah image of this still flowing water, right? So, the, the, the mind is still, but there's all these thoughts flowing through it. Every once in a while, like a really big thought comes up and says, pay attention to me. You'll know that thought when it happens, right? You, you know those thoughts that say, pay attention to me, I need to be attended to. At that moment, you have a choice, right? You have a choice to either attend to it, and I'll get to that in a moment, or just let it be, right? These other thoughts that are just fragments, usually, are just flowing by. You know, and they're going to be constantly there. And if you, if you attend to one, then another one will pop and another one, you know, and you'll just kind of be, it'll, it'll continue to happen. Whereas what you're describing is just sort of noticing these little fragments, you know, wanting a little attention. But when one comes up that's really like grabbing you and keeps coming, right? So an obsessive thought or, uh, you know, a thought that then turns into proliferation, right? That's the moment to sort of choose, all right? So now if you choose to just sort of let it be, um, that may work, right? Uh, it, it may, you know, just go back into the stream. Um, you don't want to engage it in the sense of discursively engaging it um, unless that's a choice. You know, so you could choose to do that depending on the nature of the thought, but then at that point you're no longer really meditating, you're sort of mindfully thinking. Right? You could also just kind of see what happens. Right? So this thought arises, let's say um, it's, it's a thought about Let's say it's, a, and you could identify it as a thought first of the past or a thought about the present, the future, right? You could identify it as a thought about relationship or a thought about money or a thought about, you know, career, whatever. I mean, you can sort of know those thoughts, right? You name it. And then see what else arises with it. You know, what's happening in the body, what's happening emotionally, what emotion arises with that thought. So this is the kind of investigative capacity of, of mindfulness. And... Um, what we don't want to get stuck in, and we'll notice ourselves getting stuck in, of course, is the, the thought which is, why does this happen to me? You know, why does, that, why does this thought always come up every time I practice? Why do I get stuck on this? Why is the, you know, and we get wrapped up in the whole proliferating story. Now, when the proliferation happens, <laughs> which it will, right? If the proliferation happens, can we just let the proliferation be and let it kind of spin itself out? Because if we try to halt the proliferation, that's just going to make it more proliferating. Um, and that never works, right? So if we just allow the proliferation to happen and, and even watch it happening, you know, it's kind of miraculous how the mind just takes off. Um, so we have choices. You know, and, and uh, 
you know, there are sort of two aspects of mind, right? There's the kind of proactive, uh, directive aspect of the mind. And then there's, you know, the heart mind. So there's mana and chitta, are these kind of two aspects of mind. And, and, you know, mana is the the aspect of mind that will actually kind of uh, decide what's going to happen. Chitta is the, the heart mind, which just says, oh, here it is. You know, here's this thought about the past. Here's this thought about the future. Here's this thought. You know, can I hold this, you know, with great uh, care and just observe what happens? Just be present for the unfolding of that. You know, and then the other exploration is like, well, is this a, is this a wholesome thought? <laughs> or is this a really destructive thought or an unwholesome thought? Right. So that's the other part of investigation. It's, uh, there's the, the Sufi practice of not allowing a thought to arrive, arise, not, not allowing it to pass through the gate if it's not true and if it's not good timing and if it's not authentic, if it's not really a heartful thought. Um, so that's often used for speech as well, but it's in the Sufi tradition, it's really about thought. So if you, if you see this thought arising and it's really just you know, a thought that's not true um, and not wholesome, you know, it, so that you know, the, the wholesome thoughts are, are thoughts that are going to be related to, to greed or you know, hatred, um, among other things. The wanting thoughts, you know. You could say those are not wholesome. Those are not worth entertaining. So we don't let those go through. So you may, as you asked before, you may, you know, if it's really keeps coming and it feels like the same thought wants to get your attention, you might let it just sort of blossom and see what happens, right? It's not the end of the world, right? It's not like, oh, no, I can't. But just kind of, okay, play with it. You know, meditation is very creative. Right? It's, there's not one way, um, but we can find ourselves sort of, th- just even the thought of, well, should I entertain this thought, is a thought, right? So there's that, that directive part of the mind, wondering, well, what should I do, right? As opposed to, okay, well, let's see what happens. And, and remember that you you are not asking this thought to arise, it's just arising. You know, we identify with the thought, oh, so it's my thought, so I'm going to, you know, I better entertain it. It's just a thought. It's not your thought, it's just coming up, right? And so let it come up and see what happens. Or don't, <laughs> you know, right? So uh, one of the things I wanted to kind of address today is I was rereading a quote from uh, Alan Watts. So Alan Watts, you know, who can be crazy at times, or was. Uh, there's a quote, it says, to have faith is to trust yourself to the water. When you swim, you don't grab hold of the water because if you do, you will sink and drown. 
Instead, you relax and float. So I was thinking about that quote and um, kind of wondering, uh, A, what the self is that's trying to hold onto the water, and, and B, what the water is that we're trying to grab hold of. Which reminded me of another quote <laughs> from uh, Trungpa Rinpoche, who just talks about uh, being in an airplane, jumping out of an airplane without a parachute. And then realizing there's no, there's nothing to hit. Right? You just fall. But there's no ground to hit. They're similar images in a way, right? Because if you had the parachute, it would be like trying to grab the water. Of course, if there was no ground, it wouldn't matter, right? So, um, this is kind of related to both questions. Or not, yours wasn't a question. Yours was just an expression of what happened. And you know, your question, you know, this idea that there is a self that's asking the questions, and therefore, what do I do with the questions? That, or that there's a self that's doing the thinking, and then what do I do with the thoughts? What does that self do with the thoughts that arise? And um, this is not to say that there isn't a you know, being here who's having thoughts. Right? But the thoughts themselves you know, are not your thoughts. Right? You would have to really kind of figure out how they got there. Right? Uh, you know, if we thought about where the thoughts come from that we think are our thoughts, where do they come from? You know? Do we ever have an original thought, really? We like to take credit for our original thoughts, of course. Or we like to take credit for thoughts that we think are our thoughts, and we sort of grab hold of those things, and then take pride in having those thoughts. And then when we realize they weren't our thoughts to begin with, suddenly that pride is like really destroyed, and you know, we suffer, right? So the, the, the self that's trying to, to uh, grab onto the water, right, is, uh, let's say the self which is uh, which we all experience as the self which is you know living in the horizontal plane of of time you know and trying to get from one thing to another trying to get from one job to another trying to get from one relationship to another trying to like build up your bank account from here to there um, you know the 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 self that is born and will eventually die physically, you know, all of that is kind of on this plane. So that self is constantly trying to grab the water uh, or is afraid to jump out of the airplane, right? Um, it wants to stay on the plane because it feels it has more control if it stays on the plane. Um, and uh, I'll get back to the parachute in a minute because that actually has another image that could help. So, so we, you know, have this life that we're trying to live uh, from day to day, and 
and we live it, thinking the whole time that we're in control. Um, and then when something comes up that suddenly informs us that we're not in control, we try to grab hold of things. Right? And of course, one of the things we might try to grab hold of is a belief in something, right? So I find it interesting, you know, we, in, in Buddhist practice, we take refuge in the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha, all of which are important and significant and, and support our practice. But is the refuge actually going to keep us floating? Is the refuge going to allow us to float? Or is the refuge just some other thing that we're grabbing onto? And so there is not a yes or no response to that question. The, the real response is, you know, looking at it from uh, what brings you to practice. So um, if, if you come to these practices, uh, and there's nothing wrong with this, but if you come to these practices because you have a problem and you think the practice will solve the problem, and it might momentarily, or if you come to these practices for a sort of um, medicinal reason, you know, like taking a pill, or even if you come to these practices merely for stress reduction, and you know, I teach mindfulness-based stress reduction, so obviously that's a good reason to come, And yet, it's still holding on to something. It's holding on to a belief that the practice will fix me, right? And the fixing me is the idea that there's complete control over every aspect of our life. And that if I just fix this one thing, everything else will be fine. And, you know, what... Uh, Watts is sort of alluding to is the notion that if we simply uh, let go, and what Trungpa was alluding to, if we let go into life, as opposed to trying to control every aspect of life, those things which we experience as stress, those things which we experience as uh, you know, challenges, emotional or otherwise, physical challenges, um, have a much greater chance of healing than if we're constantly trying to fix them, yeah? And so this is, this is in a sense, opening up to whatever arises, yeah? as you were describing in, in your first, you know, more extended sit, right? So you, you open up to whatever is arising rather than trying to judge yourself for whatever is arising or trying to stop whatever is arising. And the same thing with the thoughts that are popping up. You know, yes, there are certain choices that can be made, but that doesn't, uh, those choices aren't based on fixing something. They're based on curiosity, right? So the curiosity of, oh, what happens if I let this come up or what happens if I don't? You know, that's where the choice is coming out of. Um, 
And, you know, it's, it, we, it, <clears throat> when, when somebody, you know, is, it, you know, it's so much easier to kind of just say, I'll believe in this and this will take care of my life. I'll believe in this. I'll believe in Buddhism. I'll believe in Christianity. I'll believe in whatever. Uh, and I'll be safe. I'll believe in meditation and that will, you know, take care of my life. And as soon as we have that, we're clinging already. That's an aspect of clinging. So we're missing, you know, the major teaching of Buddhism anyway, right? Which is just to, to the suffering is a result of clinging. So if we are able to just let things be, which doesn't mean we don't want them to change, but I'll get to that. But if we just let, uh, you know, if, if we let experience happen, and see what unfolds and creatively respond to those experiences as opposed to trying to make them a certain way, then life changes. Then we can actually relax around life, which doesn't mean we just let things happen. I mean, so it's, this is a paradox, right? Because we can just let things happen and think, oh, everything will be all right, but we know that everything isn't all right right now, right? We know that the world is, you know, heading towards self-destruction as we know it. The world as we know it is heading towards self-destruction. The, the earth will be okay without us, but um, life as we know it is heading in a particular direction, so how are we going to respond to that? And, you know, so, so one, one way of clinging is clinging to the belief that, oh, well, things will just be as they are, right? You know, which could be one way of interpreting, I'll just float on the water and everything will be okay. But I don't think that's what it's saying, right? It's saying float on the water, drop out of the parish, drop out of the plane, let go into life, and be aware of responses that are appropriate. Um, because otherwise, you know, the world is, you know, we, we, we will just watch the world and say, oh, it's okay, I'll be all right. You know? And this is the challenge of, of practice, right? Because we can so easily fall into a place of... Um, Acceptance, total acceptance of the way the world is unfolding. Uh, without responding to any suffering of the world. That's not the Buddha's path. Nor is it the path of Jesus or whoever, right? But we sometimes sort of, you know, we can view it that way and, and then, you know, we find ourselves just kind of hiding. So,
So why do we practice? Well, for me, anyway, you know, practice practice creates a great space of resilience. And unless we have that resilience, you know, when we turn toward the problems, whether they're individual problems or societal problems, uh, will fall apart. So the, the, the practice, you know, cultivates a resilience that allows us to be fully present with what's happening without freaking out about what's happening, whether it's personal or societal. And therefore, from that resilience, an appropriate response and a, a response with some clarity and compassion hopefully arises. The, re- the resilience allows us to uh, hold the anger that may arise from any individual situation and turn that anger into something else, turn that anger into some useful response. The resilience keeps us from, you know, from being exhausted when we're turning toward all these experiences and what, uh, all the, all the uh, dukkha of the world, you know, and allows us to sort of s- see clearly what our individual response will be and also what, how we can contribute to a societal response. So it's so easy, you know, we can, we can just observe society as a whole, right, and see how society, you know, clings to certain beliefs. Right. Even those be- though those beliefs are just that plane that's heading for you know God knows what, yeah. Or we can actually start to feel that, uh, and start to experience that, what we ourselves are experiencing individually and as that you know as as we ourselves experience moments of freedom and and experience this expansiveness of mind and this expansive heart that a it can have an influence on everybody around us and b can start to you know people people actually start to see that the world cannot survive on greed, hatred, and delusion. So we both have to kind of individually experience that shift, right? So that we're not stuck in greed, hatred, and delusion. And uh, I don't want to say proselytize, but just, you know, make it clear to others who we know who are in that, that place where, you know, it's all about me, you know, start to see beyond that. So that's a place to start. You know, we talk about being a Buddha as opposed to being Buddhist, 
you know, being a Buddha, you know, acting from compassion, acting from generosity, acting from uh, renunciation. You know, every act an act of love. Every act an act of generosity. And, you know, we can start to observe in our own lives when, for whatever reason, <clears throat> that nature is obstructed. That nature to be generosity, generous, that nature to have compassion, where that, what's keeping that from coming up? So that's our own individual practice. You know, to, that's investigation that we need to, to work on individually and then carrying that through to society. And whenever we have an opportunity in whatever we do to sort of point things out, either to groups of people or to our neighbors, whatever, you know, whenever we have that opportunity that we have the courage to do that. Not, you know, from a place of I'm better than you, because that doesn't help. It defeats the purpose, but just from a heart, a heartful place, that it's not about me, it's about us. And that water that we're floating in is the water of life. That water of life is what we're all momentarily at every moment, sorry, what, that every moment we are arising out of. Right? So when I was guiding the practice, at the beginning of the guidance this morning, and I was saying every breath is a, a new moment of life. You know, that's true. In every breath, we're sort of this little wave coming out of the water. And at every breath, we are becoming. And we're just becoming out of this ocean, as it were. Yeah? And we're all in the same ocean. Uh, unfortunately, you know, too much of the world doesn't see that. So uh, somehow we have to do our own thing at the same time we are uh, bringing whatever heart we have to society. And, and uh, letting all those, those barriers drop away. God, that was sounding way too much like a sermon, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I'm just putting that out there. So, what comes up for you from any of this? Mm. By that, like, wow, 
just falls right away off. Mm. So, yeah. It's so easy to just, and you know, it's very easy to throw up your hands and say, I don't know what the hell to do. And, you know, yeah. Right. But at least to be able to recognize when my friendship would have gotten in the way of my response. What I was going to say was that, so you have all these opportunities to be an asshole, but you also have all these opportunities to be a true bodhisattva, right? So, and, 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 you know, all these kids, like, you have the opportunity to, you know, make a real difference, and you know that, you know, so it's like, oh, wow, yeah, yeah, thank you. Right. Oh, the piano, yeah. Right. Or Ram Dass or whoever the hell that oh, quotes okay. from, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a 
Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Thank you. Yeah. Of the city. And walking around my community is such a collective place. And it's a very interesting dynamic. My question is more practical uh, ways you all can come back to the breath when you see things that are really sad in the subway or when you see Yeah, it's great, isn't it? <laughs> well, the uh, first off, it's uh, <coughs> You know, we watch the mind, right? Grab onto someone or something, some, you know, someone who's sad or someone who's. You know, who's in a joyful place, right? And and recognize. I mean, what I do, <laughs> or I try to do, is if I'm in the subway. Imagine that these are the people you're going to be spending the rest of your life with. Just in that car, right? Like these are, these are the people, this is humanity, and I'm going to be spending my life with them, right? And so, you know, it's, it, it's A, it's interesting to make contact with people, eye contact at least, right? Which is hard because most people are, you know, this. And... Um, but, you know, just looking around and seeing the different faces and, uh, you know, there, there are going to be some really sad people and there are going to be some really joyous people. Most people are sort of just looking at their phones and you don't know how they are, which is really unfortunate, you know, but that's our society now. This kind of separateness that technology has created at this, while at the same time doing the opposite. That's the funny thing about it, right? So it's like, it's created separateness and yet it's connected a lot of people. Sometimes in not so good ways, but so, so there's that. And then there's, so from that, you know, it's like, what an ideal way to practice, you know, compassion and loving kindness. Right? So you're in this place and you're just kind of wishing all of these people well, because these are the people you're going to be spending the rest of your life with. Or these are you, these people are you. Right? Just imagine everybody in the car. It's just one aspect of you. Uh, which could be overwhelming. But at the same time, it could be really cool. And it's like, oh, this is me. Right? This is us. This is we. Whatever. You know. Um, 
Uh, and, you know, so the other thing I do, or I encourage people to do is, as well, uh, walking down the street, is, is a kind of variation on the Tonglen practice. So, so Tonglen is a breathing in and breathing out and linking the, uh, the, the Tonglen practice is breathing in the suffering of the world, breathing out love. You can do it, uh, I, I suggest, you know, as you, as you are walking down the street and you make eye contact with someone or some being, you know, may you be well, may we be well, may I be well, you know, so you link it to the breath. May you be well, just, you know, in the mind, just kind of connect yourself to that person and try to make contact, you know. When you, when you give to a homeless person, look at the person and thank the person for allowing you to be generous. That'll freak them out. Actually, they don't, doesn't freak them out, it, it, but it's hard for us to do that. So, you know, it's the connection that's important, right? It's not, the breath can sort of ground you, but making the connection is what's so important. And, and it's that connection which has the potential to actually change things, right? Um, so I hope that helps. Good luck. It's really, I mean, it is really interesting on the subway to do that, though. Yeah. Thank you for that. Anybody else before we close with a practice? Hmm. So let's sit for a bit more. Coming back into the breath, coming back into the body, and bringing to mind all the ways that you've treated yourself well in the last few days, ways that you've been kind to yourself without any conditions. Allow that feeling to really come into the heart center. Bring to mind ways in which you've been kind to others in the last few days, again, without any conditions attached to that little things you may have done for friends or colleagues or strangers. Bring that feeling into the heart center. And ways in which others have been kind to you. And bring that feeling into the heart center. And it's possible this feeling is experienced as warmth or light. Maybe not, but if it is, just allow that feeling to spread through the body from head to toe. And then allowing it to radiate outward in all directions. Receiving as well as sending. So we're receiving it from each other, but it's radiating outward in all directions as if the boundaries of the body have completely fallen away. 
Loving-kindness is just present, connecting with those on 26th Street and those on 27th Street and just continuing to radiate out as if it were embracing the world. Each in-breath an act of kindness toward yourself, each out-breath an act of kindness toward others. So when we talk about sharing the merit of our practice, the merit that we gain from our practice, when that's expressed, how is that manifest in the world? It's manifest through our acts of generosity, our acts of compassion, our acts of wisdom. And whether those are directed toward individuals or groups, that merit spreads in all directions. So we share the merit that we gained from our practice today and throughout the weeks, months, and years, and lifetimes. We share that merit for the well-being of all without exception. May all beings be free from suffering and the causes of suffering, free from fear and the causes of fear. May all beings be free and may all beings find peace. Thank you all for your practice and your presence. Enjoy this beautiful day, finally. <laughs> Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.